So our reading this evening is from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 to 12, which can be found on page 746 in the Church Bibles. So reading from Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet... On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Good evening, all. Before we come to God's word, um, why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this evening, we humbly ask that you prepare our hearts and minds to hear you speak to us through this passage. Will you help me speak clearly? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been for a nice walk? 
along Newmarket New Road on a sunny day. You're walking along in sort of peaceful thoughts. And then, beep, beep, someone beeps their horn. And it, it absolutely jolts you from your sort of peaceful musings to a, what's going on? Are they beeping at me? Has someone been hit? What's going on? Or the experience you have as a, as a parent. Not that I would know, but I've been told. When you're, you're upstairs tidying up and then you hear downstairs, crash, bang, wallop. And then you sort of run safely and orderly down the stairs, doing your sort of best sort of long jump impressions. What's going on? Is everyone okay? Is anyone hurt? If your attention was elsewhere, the children now have it. If the Israelites were coasting along, sleepwalking in their religion, God wants them to wake up. He wants them to be jolted into action because there's something deeply wrong and problematic with their fasting. And so we read in verse 1, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. There is a problem with God's people and and there's a problem with their fasting. Which brings us on to our first heading, a problem. This is a fasting that brings out the worst in them. It's a fasting that seems okay at first, but there's a problem. Read in verse 2. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. See, this is, this is outward religious piety that seems good and dutiful. They, they do their daily devotions. They go to weekly Bible studies. They even attend the monthly prayer meeting. And yet God would have his prophet declare to his people that there is a problem. Why? Well, it's because they're fasting. It results in injustice. Verse 3 exploitation of workers it's fasting that ends up in quarrelling and strife it's fasting that results in infighting you see fasting in and of itself is a good thing it's a time for for deepening our relationship with God it's a time for humility because we realise our daily dependence on God and yet the fasting described here brings out the worst in people it's not a time for humility. It, it results in fighting and quarrelling with each other. Their fasting has led to a, a hollow religion. It's a sham. Have you ever heard of the phrase empty rhetoric? Simply put, it's essentially a, a gap between what a person says and what a person does. It's commonly applied to politicians of the sort. And here we have not only empty rhetoric, but empty religion. It's religious activity that looks good on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. It's fasting that hasn't resulted in transformation of their hearts. It hasn't led to humble repentance or compassion or love for others. Instead, 
it leads to injustice and fighting and a lack of forgiveness. This is fasting that results in the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, verse 9. It easily finds fault and blame. And why? Well, we see the root of the problem in verse 3. It's fasting that's self-serving. It reads, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. Their fasting has become transactional. They're treating God like he's a a vending machine. You you know when you go to a a drive-thru, whether it's McDonald's or KFC or whatever, and and you drive up to the the shiny menu board thing, and you, you press the button, hello sir, how can I help, can I take your order? Yes, I'd like a a double cheeseburger, large fries, and a large milkshake. Anything else? No, sir, that's fine. And then you drive up to the, the window booth thing and you, you, you pay your money and then you collect your order. God, this is my order. Good health, a decent income, good school for my children, a good result in my degree. And here is my payment my religious activity. I'll give up coffee for Lent if you'll just do this. This is self-serving fasting that treats God as if he's a menu we can order off, as if he owes us because of what we do. This type of fasting is problematic for those who engage in it because you can't manipulate God. It's problematic for those around them because it, it damages their relationships. It brings out the worst in them. It results in injustice, quarrelling and fighting. There is a problem with this type of fasting and it needs changing. I wonder if we sometimes fall into the trap. I think that as Christians, because of what we do, God owes us. Does our fasting, does our Christian life become legalistic religion without us ever realising it? How might God want to change our fasting this Lenten period? Which brings us on to our second heading, a prescription for the problem. The prescription that God provides for this problem is one that transforms our relationships. The type of fasting God has chosen isn't self-serving in nature. Rather, it's, it's social in nature and sacrificial in nature. It's social in nature because in verse 6, it's a type of fasting that does away with injustice, sets the oppressed free. Don't just loosen the chain of injustice, undo the chains of injustice. Deal with it around you. Don't just deal with it when it happens. Stop it from ever happening again. Don't just set the oppressed free. Break every yoke that leads to oppression so that that oppression can never be repeated. I guess William Wilberforce was a person who transformed by his Christian faith, sought not only to to improve the factory conditions for workers in Britain, he also campaigned in Parliament for the abolition of slavery. If I think this type of fasting excludes me, us, you, then then we're ignoring the sacrificial implications of this type of fasting. Because it's a, a sacrificial type of fasting that shows personal care for the individual. Verse 7, sharing your food with the hungry. 
providing the poor wanderer with shelter. Clothe the naked and not turning away from your own flesh and blood. How can we, through prayer, wisely invest in the needs of those around us? Whether it's in our city, city of Cambridge, or in our neighbourhoods, our churches, our families. How might there be opportunities for us to, to respond in ways that do away with injustice and care for the needy? Because neediness isn't that far from us, is it? The young couple sat next to you on a Sunday, struggling in their marriage. The single father who's just struggling to cope with the demands of teenage children. And sorry for the obvious example. Maybe it's just as obvious as sparing time to help with CCHP, the Cambridge Church's Homeless Project. How often do we become oblivious to the needs of those around us? And if you're tempted to think that this is too much to ask, then I urge you to read verse 10. It says, And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed... As Christians, what do we think the cost of true fasting is? If we think that our lives will just be a a stroll in the park without any cost, then we're sadly mistaken. Living out true fasting is costly. Living out the Christian life is costly. The type of fasting described here is, is active in nature, not passive. It's one that demands of us Just to say, if you're thinking that, great, these are a list of things that I can do so that God can give me what I want now, then you've missed the point, haven't you? Because it it just becomes self-serving fasting again. It's, It's just another button to push. Don't push there, push here. Rather, this prescription from God are the things we will naturally be doing as a response to what God has done for us and the promise we have in this passage. Which brings us on to our third and final heading, a promise. A promise of total restoration. You see, the motivation for the prescription, the motivation for letting God transform our fasting, is the promise. You know when you go to the doctors, and the doctor says, there's there's something wrong with you, Mr. Smith. Take this prescribed medication and you'll be fine, you'll be able to run around with the grandkids in no time, you'll even be able to do that half marathon you've wanted to do for so long, you'll even be able to help out your wife with the washing. Why should we let God transform our fasting this Lenten period? Because of the promise that accompanies true fasting. Fasting that transforms our relationship with others is one that God blesses. Fasting that is social and sacrificial in nature is one that God prospers. And what type of blessing is this? Well, it's the best kind of blessing. It's a blessing that results in God drawing close to us. Verse 8. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. The Lord will guide you always. You see, the Israelites, they would have known what it felt like when God withdrew from them. They would have been left primarily exposed and vulnerable to their enemies. And yet, when God drew close to them, they would have experienced unparalleled victory 
and blessing in daily life. What does it look like for God to draw close to us in the storms of our life? A tricky family situation? The colleague you just can't seem to get on with? That person at church that rubs you up the wrong way? That illness you or your loved one is dealing with? Let God transform your fasting and he will always be near when you call. Verse 9, he will say, here am I. God will not only draw close to us, but we also have a promise of total restoration one day. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun's court's land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Instead of trying to manipulate God, notice, see what he has done for you and his son Jesus. See how he satisfies and restores you. See the promise of total restoration that lies waiting. Then your fasting will be done out of delight because of what God has done for us. It'll be, it'll be fasting that spills out into transformed relationships because we are, we are overwhelmed with the grace and mercy God has shown us. Let's diligently pray and ask God to show us the ways our fasting, the ways our fasting becomes self-serving. Let's ask God for wisdom and humility so that our fasting will, will spill out into compassion for others, not because it's something we have to do, but rather as a response to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. You see, Lent provides us with a great opportunity, an opportunity to, to soberly reflect on our lives and our need for a saviour. A time to fast from the things that turn us away from God. But we see here in this passage that true fasting is, is only as significant as the intent of the heart. Instead of fasting at least a vain self-denial this Lent, why don't we pray and ask God to transform our fast into a fast that will transform our relationship with God and those around us because it's a fast that God will forever bless, a fast that holds promise of total restoration one day in Jesus Christ.